Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word. The lesson you're about to hear was part of our fall focus in 2008, Zealous for Good Deeds. This particular lesson explores what zeal is and what someone will look like who really is zealous for good deeds. So open your Bible and get ready to study about a zeal for good deeds. You've heard several times today we're working through what we call our fall focus. This year we're doing something very special. Uh, we've put together a deck of cards. The fellow who presented our gospel meeting this last week, Philip Shoemake, put this together. And it's, we've got one for every day of October, except for the very last day. The first 30 days, we've got a, a card that we're following. In fact, I just want us to, as a congregation, let's go through today's card real quick. I know that most of you already did that this morning when you are eating your breakfast. You got up early enough to get ready. And while you're eating your breakfast or drinking your coffee, you read it. But for a few who didn't, let's read through it together. Today's message is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. The meaning. Sometimes, no matter how zealous we feel about performing good works, we also feel poorly equipped. We wonder how to make a difference in a world full of pain in so many places. The answer is in God. Day by day and need by need, God graciously supplies us with his resources. Don't shy away from using a portion of the blessings God has given you to manage. He's able to always supply an abundance for every good deed. Our practical movement for today, choose a friend and make a list of the talents you see in them that encourage you. Share your list with him or her. I hope that you have done that and are going to talk to somebody today about the talents that encourage you. If you're like me, though, it's a little bit weird. I've looked at people and I've thought about some things and I start to say something to them, but we're just not used to walking up and saying, listen, hey, this is what I really like about you. It seems a little bit weird. And I, that, that makes me glad that Philip made that a part of our, of our good deeds because that's something that really ought to be natural. That's something that we ought to just be natural at, being able to look at somebody and say, hey, this is, this is what you're really good at. So I just want to share with you as a congregation. I just want you to know that the talents that the congregation has that encourages me, really, with good deeds, we're not doing this month because you guys aren't going to be good at that and thought, oh, wow, we need to do something to get this congregation good at good deeds but rather because, as Paul says, we need to excel still more and more because you guys are great at good deeds. In fact, I have a thank you note right here from Brother Clay Gentry, who preaches down at Latin, because so many of you performed a good deed for him. He says, to my friends at the Franklin Congregation, thank you for the laptop, but more importantly, thank you for your love. May God return your generous gift back to you tenfold, your brother, Clay Gentry. And I'll, I'll post that on the bulletin board in the back where we keep those notes. But some of you did a good deed for that brother down there. His computer cratered. And you know for preachers, a computer is an important thing these days. And many of you pulled together and, and helped out with that. That was a good deed. We've got the, the issue coming up with going down to, to help in uh, southeast Texas because of the hurricane. And this will be about the third time that folks from this congregation have gone to different places because of storms, uh, have sent money and finances and help. You guys are really good at that, and that's very encouraging to me. You're very good at, at loving one another and being a support and calling. And I, I don't know how many times if I've been sick or things have been going on in our family, we receive cards and calls. That's very encouraging. You guys are very good at that. And I'm sure if I sat down, I could come up with just a, a great list. But those are some things that's at the top of my head that you guys are just wonderful at, and I appreciate that and, and the love and the, the encouragement that you give because of all those things. But we want to excel still more and more at our 
good deeds. And so today, we want to talk about a zeal for good deeds. What does that mean? If I were to ask you the question, why did Jesus come to earth? What would you say? Why did Jesus come to earth? Now, that's an easy question, isn't it? Because we know what Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All right? Why did Jesus seek and save the lost? Just think about that for just a moment. Just think in your own mind. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to answer it out loud. But just, why did Jesus seek and save the lost? Well, that's easy too. So we go to heaven, right? Wrong. Now, now don't misunderstand. Because Jesus did come to seek and save the lost, we will be able to go to heaven if we are a part of His family. He did reserve a home in heaven for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, Peter reminds us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What a great reward we have being kept for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So don't misunderstand. It is true that because Jesus has sought us and saved us, we do receive the benefit of going to heaven if we are His children. But that is not why Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost so we would do good works on earth right here and now. Jesus did not come to seek and save the lost merely so sometime in the future we might receive this great reward. Jesus came to seek and save the lost so that those who had been saved from their sins might be a force of good works here on the earth for everyone else to see. The Bible is really clear about this, and yet I think we've missed the boat on it so often. I think so often we just have the idea that that the reason Jesus came here is just to save us so we could go to heaven. And that's just not true. Jesus came here to save us so we could do things for Him right here and now. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. Why were we recreated in Christ Jesus? Simply so sometime down the road we could go to heaven? No, we were recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. Look in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. In Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, Paul said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Or as the New American Standard says, zealous for good deeds. 
Why did the grace of God come? To save us, absolutely. Why save us? To train us to renounce ungodliness. To train us to renounce worldly passions. To train us to live with self-control. To live godly lives. To live upright in this present age. He didn't just, just save us so that we could live however we wanted and then go to heaven someday. He saved us so that we could live godly, upright, self-controlled lives right now. Zealous for good deeds. We can look in the next chapter. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 it says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then again in verse 14, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. We can look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, actually just verse 21 is what I have on the screen here. Verse 20 says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. This time in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. That's why Jesus saved us. And look again in Hebrews chapter 13 now. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, the Bible here says, Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, excuse me, equip you with every good, with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why did God raise Jesus up? Not merely so we could go to heaven, but so that we might have everything good, so that we can work His will and do what is pleasing to Him. This is just another way of saying that we should be devoted and zealous to good deeds. This is why Jesus came to earth. This is why Jesus sought and saved the lost. This is why Jesus has brought us into His kingdom. Not merely so we can gather together on Sunday and talk about truth. Not merely so we can have greater knowledge. Not so we can simply be theologically correct. Jesus came to the earth so that we might be saved by His truth, set apart by our knowledge from God's will, so that we could do something about it so that we can be a force of good works here in this world, so that God might be glorified. And when Jesus did this, He didn't do this just so that we could do a good deed now and then. He didn't do this just so we could be Boy Scouts and have a good deed a day. Remember Titus 2.14, what it said? So that we would be zealous for good works. Zealous for good deeds. But what does zeal mean? When we say that, we've got this entire month named Zealous for Good Deeds, and, and here's this word, and, but it's not a word that we use very much. You don't hear people today talk about zeal very often. What does it mean? What, what would we look like if we were actually zealous for good works? How, did we, how do we develop a zeal for good deeds? That's what I want us to talk about for a few moments this morning. Before we get into that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Our almighty God and Father in heaven, our good God, who has done so many good deeds for us, creating the world, providing us with everything we need so that we can survive in this world, having given us especially your Son so that our sins could be washed away, that we might be set free from, from sin, 
and from guilt and shame so that we could do good things here on this earth, causing people to come to you and to glorify you and to be saved from their sins. Father, we are so sorry because too often we've done bad things. Even since we've become your children, we've turned and committed sins at times. And we pray that you would wash those away, forgive us of those things, set us free from those sins so that we might hunger and thirst for righteousness and pursue your good deeds that you've created for us to walk in. Help us to walk in those. Standing upright, looking the world in the eye and showing them your life so that they might glorify you and come to be your children as well. Father, thank you for letting us be a part of your plan. Thank you for for this great plan. Thank you for everybody who's here today that wants to know more about being zealous for good deeds. And we pray that you would bless each of us to, to work through this, this plan that we have for this month, but, but not for it just to be our fall focus, but for it to be something that uplifts our lives so that we're always zealous for good deeds. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son who died for us, we pray. Amen. So what is zeal? What does zeal mean. There are three words in the New Testament, in the Greek, that are translated zeal or zealous. And I, I don't expect you to remember this. I probably won't remember it after, after this week, but it's zealous, zelotes, and zeluo. Something like that. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it sounded good to me. Zealous, zelotes, and zelo. But they all come from a root word, zeo. And this root word means to boil with heat. And so all of the words that are translated zeal and zealous have this idea of having to do with heat and fire. Sometimes it's used in a negative way. It's the idea of burning with envy. You'll find these words used to, to talk about burning with envy when the, when the Pharisees were envious of Jesus and when the Jews were envious of Paul. This is the word that's used as it talks about them burning with envy. But then in a positive way, it's used of, of burning with desire that you want something so bad, it's, it's like burning with it. In fact, if we were going to use modern buzzwords, like I said earlier, we don't hear zeal and zealous used very much in today's world. But if we were going to use modern buzzwords, we would have words like, man, he's on fire. He's passionate. Have you ever, if you read self-help stuff and you listen to folks like Zig Ziglar and John Maxwell, you'll hear them talk about this, about being passionate. Dan Miller and Dave Ramsey. Gazelle intense is Dave Ramsey's phrase. You know, that's that idea of just, man, I am just on fire for this. Okay. This is not just I kind of like it. You know, it's it's kind of like football fans. All right, you know, there's some people that are that are fans of football, which means they'll they'll watch a game, you know, and and they they like the Titans, and so they'll watch a game now and again. But then you have those that are zealous. And those are the guys that you know paint themselves blue and and white, and you know they carry the signs and ah! you know that's that's zeal. Okay, that's the difference between just being a fan and being zealous. On fire, passionate. This is the thing that just is, is just all-consuming for me. This is what zeal is. When we think about zeal, when we think about this concept of being on fire, I think we see an example of this by contrast in the Church of Laodicea. If you look in Revelation chapter two, or excuse me, chapter three, in Revelation chapter three and verse nineteen, Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, "Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline." So, be zealous and repent. Jesus commanded them is be zealous. And the reason he chose that word is because zeal, the heat, the fire, the passion of zeal contrasts with where Laodicea was. Remember back in verse 15, what was their problem? They're lukewarm. And so Jesus is going to spew them out of his mouth. He said, instead of being lukewarm, you need to be on fire. You need to be passionate. You need to be zealous. 
for serving me. That's that idea that we have here, that concept of the heat and the fire and the passion. We see some examples of zeal, and I just want us to consider some examples of, of folks that were described as zealous so that we can learn some aspects of that zeal. We all know about John chapter 2, when Jesus went into the temple. In John chapter 2, from verse 13 on down to verse 17, Jesus had gone into the temple and He saw the money changers and the folks that had turned the temple instead of a place of, of worshiping God into a place of business and trade and self-profit. That was, that was the problem here. It wasn't just that they were exchanging things so that people could perform their sacrifices. That had to happen. It was the fact that they had turned it from a place of worship to a place of business and, and even a place of taking advantage. And so Jesus makes that uh, whip of cords and... and, and chases all the money changers out and the traders and all these people. And it quotes from Psalm 69.9 in verse 19, the disciples, excuse me, verse 17, the disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume you. What we see here from Jesus because of this zeal is an inability to sit idly by. That's what zeal means. It's, it's the inability to sit idly by. Okay? Listen, I'll give you an illustration because she's sick and she's not here today. Michelle? Had, yeah, I know Abigail. I, I got to go watch Michelle at one of Abigail's basketball games. All right, you want to talk about zeal? You know, I knew because since I was there, she didn't want to be embarrassed, so she was trying to be quiet. But after a while, it just came out, Go, Abigail! I mean, that's, you know, I can't sit idly by. Got, got to do something about it. Got to say something about it. That's zeal. An inability to sit idly by. Then there's Paul, who before he became a Christian was zealous. In Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul is describing what his life as a Jew was like. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. His persecution of the church was a demonstration of the zeal he had for serving God the way he thought he was supposed to at that time. So let's just take a look at an example about what Paul did there in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, Saul, of course you remember that Paul, before he became a Christian, was known as Saul. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This wasn't just a one-time thing. This was house after house. He was committed to it. But I want you to notice something even more. In chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, But Saul, this is Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them down to Jerusalem. Saul didn't just look around and see, was there anybody right around me that I can persecute? Saul hunted them down. He was chasing them down. And that's the idea of zeal. It's not the idea of just, well, if something comes along, I'll do it. It's the idea of I'm hunting for it. I'm chasing it down. I want it so much that I'm pursuing it. That's, that's zeal. And then we take a look at Paul again, this time in Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul again, describing himself before he became a Christian, says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This is that zeal. He's advancing beyond everyone else. He's excelling and he's exceeding. That's what the idea of zeal is. Those who are zealous, they're not satisfied with the status quo. They're not satisfied with good enough. They have to excel and exceed and still do more. That's what it means to be zealous. 
But as we consider this, we need to understand that, that God didn't just say for us to be zealous in general. He didn't just say that we ought to have a zeal for something, for anything. He said we need to be zealous for good deeds. That's our main passage in Titus 2.14. That, that Jesus died to redeem us from all our lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. <clears throat> what this means is that our zeal, our fire, our passion needs to be about good deeds. We need to have an inability to sit idly by while there are good deeds that need to be done. We just, we just can't let that go. We've got to be out there doing those good deeds. And it's not just, hey, if some opportunity comes by, maybe someday I might do something good. It's, it's chasing it and pursuing it. That's what we're supposed to be doing with good deeds. Excelling and exceeding all others. There ought to be nobody on this earth that does good deeds like we do. Not because there's a church program. Not because some church has said the church will do some good deeds, but because we as individual Christians are supposed to. Not because we're a part of some benevolent organization, but because we as individual Christians are going to be zealous for good deeds. And when we see good that needs to be done, we get out there and we pursue it and we strive for it. We're passionate about it. There's another metaphor that's used in the Scripture that I think describes this, this very same concept of being zealous for good deeds. Look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Those who hunger for being right with God and doing what is right for God. That's what that idea is here. Now, I think this demonstrates maybe something that we've missed the boat on often as we try to teach people. Because here in Matthew chapter 5, as we look at this verse in context, Jesus is essentially giving us his plan of salvation. It starts back in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is pointing out is that if we want to be saved, we first have to realize how bad we are. We first have to realize what kind of bad deeds we've done. We have to realize how sinful we are. And that causes a poverty, a, a recognition of our poverty of spirit. Only those who realize how poor they are spiritually can be saved. And, and because of that poverty, and because we've done so many bad things, we recognize there's not anything we can do about that. We can't pay that off. We can't make up for it. Any good thing that we did from now on would be just doing what we were supposed to do anyway. It can't pay for the bad things we did before. And so that causes us to mourn because we realize what an awful state we're in. But we understand that by submitting to God, we'll be saved. And so meekly, we submit to God and we surrender our lives to Him, no longer pursuing our own course, but doing what He wants. Because we know that His way works. Not because it's the rule. Not because we're trying to figure out what the rules are but because we know His way works. And so we want to figure out what His way is, and we submit to it, surrendering ourselves in meekly. But then He says, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, often we'll come to this passage and we'll point out that it, it doesn't say we should hunger and thirst for money, and it doesn't say we should hunger and thirst for fame, and it doesn't say we should hunger and thirst for political power and influence. Have you ever noticed that it also doesn't say that we should hunger and thirst for mercy or grace? I just want you to stop and think about that for a moment. Jesus said if we want to be satisfied, 
We don't hunger and thirst for mercy or grace. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, brothers and sisters, I understand that you and I cannot be righteous apart from God's mercy and grace. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But God's mercy and grace is not the end. It's not the goal. God's mercy and grace is extended for a reason, and that is to make us righteous. And we should not be seeking God's mercy and grace because we merely want to be forgiven. We should be seeking God's mercy and grace because we want all this bad stuff taken away so that we can be set free to do the good stuff. So that we can set free so, we, so that we can be set free to pursue righteousness. That's what this is about. And I fear, I even think about the way that I have taught people in the past, that what we've tried to highlight and get folks to do is to be all on fire for mercy and forgiveness. And then we wonder why we get them baptized, but afterwards they won't do anything. It's because all we did was build up their hunger for forgiveness, and now they think they've got it and they're done. What we need to be doing is building up people's hunger for righteousness. Make them hungry to do good things, to serve God, to be a righteous force in this world instead of the evil force that we have been. And if we can get people to be hungry for that, then they'll want God's mercy and grace because that's the only way they can be righteous. But once they're forgiven, then they'll keep pursuing the good deeds. That's what we need to be hungry for. That's what we need to be zealous for is the good deeds. Jesus didn't die merely so we could be forgiven. Jesus died so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus died so that we could be healed, die to sin, live to righteousness. That's, that's what it's talking about. But we need to understand the place our good deeds have in our salvation. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 makes this point very clear. He saved us. This is Titus 3 and verse 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand this. We're not zealous for good deeds to try to earn our salvation. Because we can't. There's no amount of good deeds that you can do that will earn you salvation. If you're trying to do good things because you're trying to make up for what you did in the past, it's not going to work. If you're trying to do good deeds because you're trying to make the cut, you won't make the cut. The idea of pursuing good deeds to try to earn salvation causes many people to ask the wrong question. How many good deeds do I have to do to go to heaven? That's, that's just the wrong question. Of course, I haven't heard very many people ask it like that, but I have heard questions like, how many assemblies do I have to attend? How much time do I have to spend reading my Bible? How much time do I have to spend in prayer? How much hospitality do I have to do? How many people do I actually have to teach? All these questions, we could go on and on and on. See, the problem there is it's like folks are trying to find a line that, boy, here's good enough. If I've done this many good deeds, now I've earned it, I've made the cut, I'm going to heaven. That's not the way it works. If our motivation on doing good deeds is trying to be good enough to go to heaven, we aren't ever going to make it. Our motivation for doing good deeds needs to be that we are zealous for good deeds, that we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That means there won't ever be a stop. We'll know we're never good enough. We've not ever done enough, and now we can take a break. We're just going to keep on. Here's a good deed. I'm going to do it. We're not going to ask ourselves, have I done it enough? We're just going to, because, because deal for good deeds, good deeds means that, well, there isn't enough. I just want to keep going. I just want to keep doing. 
That's a zeal, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we need to understand how it fits in with our salvation. See, the reality is, the reality is, while there are things that we have to do to obey God in order to be saved, and I'm not denying that at all, I absolutely believe that's the case, we need to understand that our zeal for good deeds does not give us our salvation. Rather, it's the salvation that gives us the zeal for good deeds. It's the fact that Jesus has cleansed us from unrighteousness that causes us to want so much to keep doing His will, to keep doing those good things. Well, what will it look like? What do those who are zealous for good deeds, what, what do they look like? And I'm sure that we could come up with, with a huge long list, but I've just found six things in the Scripture that I think show a zeal for good deeds. And, and this is what we'll look like when we have this zeal. As we go along with each one, we're also going to make some comments about how to develop the zeal. Initially, I had set up two different sections of this lesson, what's it look like and how do I develop it. And I began to notice that that last section looked just like this one. So just combine them. As we take a look at these things, these are the things we need to work on to develop zeal. The very first thing that we recognize is that a person who is zealous for good deeds is reliant upon God's grace. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 demonstrates a problem that we have. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Some of your translations say our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Apart from God's grace, apart from God's saving grace, it doesn't matter what we do, our works are nothing more than filthy rags. Without God's grace, there is no good work that I can do that really does me any good or does God any good. And so it's only by God's grace that I am cleansed of my sins, which now takes the good things I do and makes them righteous before God. Isn't that what Titus was really teaching us? If you head back over there to Titus chapter 2, notice verse 11. How does it start? It doesn't just start off being zealous for good deeds. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. Train us to do these things. It's by the grace of God that we do these things. But then, having become a child of God and having our sins cleansed so that now we're set free to pursue righteousness, we also recognize that with each individual good deed, it's by God's grace that we have that ability. Look in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. This is the verse that we read on the card for today. I think it just fits in nicely. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, I understand that Paul here is talking to the Corinthians about a very specific good deed that they were doing. The Christians in Judea were going through a famine, and the Christians at Corinth were helping them out by sending from their abundance to help out. But the principle is true for all things. Where is it that we get the ability to strengthen others, to comfort others, to teach others, to help others financially, to spend time with others, to, to weep with others who are weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing? All of those abilities come from God's grace. How do we have the ability to lead others? Because of God's grace. How do we have the ability to help others? It's because of God's grace. Every good deed that's out there, whether it's a financial good deed or whether it's a spiritual good deed or an emotional good deed, it comes because God has bestowed grace upon us abundantly so that we can do that good deed. So for every good deed we do, we need to give thanks for God's grace. 
And this is where we begin to develop a zeal for good deeds. If you want to develop a zeal for good deeds, begin by counting your blessings. Begin by thinking about all the things that God has done for everyone, such as Jesus dying, and for you in particular. The abilities that He's given you, the resources that He's given you. Might, might do you good to every day just write out what I've heard called a gratitude list. Just, just every day, just write down five to ten to twenty things or however you think of. Here's what I'm thankful for. This is what God's given me. Just write that out. The second thing is that it's accompanied with a knowledge from God's Word. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 2, we find out that it's possible to have zeal, but without knowledge. In Romans 10, 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They're on fire for something, and they're even on fire for God. But because they don't know God's will, they're not doing God's will. Here in this context, the Jews did not understand the grace that Jesus had offered, and so they were on fire for trying to do all their own righteousness and earn their way to heaven. But we today, even though we understand the grace of Jesus, if we don't know God's will, we're not going to perform the good deeds He wants us to perform. That's why we need to turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And remember, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, notice this, equipped for every good work. There's only one way to be equipped for every good work. It's not chicken soup for the soul. It's not Oprah or Dr. Phil. It's the Word of God. Only through Scripture can we gain the knowledge that equips us for every good work. So if we want to develop a zeal for good deeds, it's got to be in the Word. We've got to be reading the Scripture. That's, that's the only way. You cannot develop a zeal for good deeds without being in the Word of God. The third thing, laboring fervently in prayer. In 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter, three, uh, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. If we want to be zealous for good deeds, we need to be praying that God would establish us in good deeds. But not only praying that God would establish us and others in good deeds, we need to recognize that the greatest good deed we can do for anybody is to pray for them and to pray with them. There's a passage that I came across as I was studying for this lesson that just really struck me. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it talks about Epaphras. In Colossians 4, verse 12 and 13, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. That phrase, worked hard, that's our words for zeal and being zealous. In fact, some translations say, you know, I bear witness of his zeal for you. He had a zeal for them. But notice how his zeal was manifested. The English Standard Version says, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Your translation may say, laboring fervently in prayers. Can we describe our prayers as laboring fervently? 
We've been working hard in our prayers for others. That's what a person who's zealous for good deeds does. A person zealous for good deeds doesn't just go out and try to find some nice things to do. A person zealous for good deeds lets his good deeds count and lets her good deeds count by actually praying about it. And praying for others that they would have God's blessing. So those who are zealous for good deeds labor fervently in prayer. Recognize also that they are anchored in service to others. And this may be one of the most difficult aspects of being zealous for good deeds because being zealous for good deeds means serving other people instead of seeking myself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2, Paul talked about the zeal that the Corinthians had. He said, I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. This was a service. They were going to have to give from their own finances to help the brethren in Judea. I want you to also notice that when Paul talked about widows indeed in 1 Timothy chapter 5, as he talked about widows indeed and the ones who were allowed to be put on the roll in the church, it was all about whether or not she had been a servant. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10. Having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Every single one of those things is an issue of service. Bringing up children, that's serving somebody else. Hospitality, that's serving others and letting them come into your home. Having washed the feet of saints, that was the epitome of serving someone else. Caring for the afflicted. It's all about serving. We want to be zealous for good deeds. We're going to have to be servants. And if we want to develop that, that, that zeal for good deeds, then what we need to work on is a humility that allows us to serve other people. Now, this next key is probably an obvious one, but sometimes I feel like we need to state the obvious just to, just to make sure we recognize it. You see, those who are zealous for good deeds, well, they're abounding in good deeds. They're abounding in them. It's not just something that they do every once in a while. It's something that they're full of. Look in Acts chapter 9. One of the greatest examples in Scripture of somebody who was zealous for good deeds is Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. There in Acts chapter 9 and verse 36 and following, we know that she died, and they called Peter to come and raise her from the dead. It says in Acts 9 verse 36, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Your translation may say she was abounding in these works, which she continually did. It wasn't just an every once in a while thing. It was abounding in good deeds. Do you abound in good deeds? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. As Paul is talking about what is fitting for women who profess godliness, we learn what's fitting for everyone who professes godliness. It says that she, she should be clothed in what is fitting for a woman who professes godliness, clothed in good works. We should so abound with good deeds that that's what people remember about us. They don't remember our clothing, our fashion sense, our power style. They remember the good deeds. It's, it's like we're so covered up with them, we're, we're clothed in them. And in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8, it says that those who are rich should be rich in good deeds, being generous and sharing. We need to be rich in good deeds. I'll tell you, if you want to develop good deeds, if you want to develop a zeal for good deeds, you, you need to do this. You just need to do a good deed. Maybe you don't feel a zeal right now. But you see, those zealous for good deeds, they just abound in them. And so, if you don't feel zealous about it right now, that's okay. Just do one. And then just do another one. 
And then just do another one. Because as we do this and we find the fulfillment and the meaning that comes from serving others and abounding in good deeds, the zeal will grow. Fake it till you make it. Just pretend like you're zealous for good deeds and just do one. And the zeal will grow. And the final key that I want to share with you is that those zealous for good deeds bear fruit for God's glory. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Another passage in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Those who are really zealous for good deeds are not trying to shine the light on themselves, but trying to shine the light on the Father. John chapter 15 and verse 8. John chapter 15 and verse 8 says that by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's bearing fruit. What this demonstrates to us is on a very practical level, good deeds are not done in a vacuum. It's not just something I did over here and that's it. Good deeds produce something. Now, sometimes it may not be a tangible thing. It may be like those fruit that we see in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It may be love or joy or peace or patience. But on the other hand, other times it may be where we've helped somebody else. You remember we read in Titus chapter 3 and verse 14, as Paul was closing out that letter, he said, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. He said that when we're helping in cases of urgent need, that is bearing fruit. But sometimes the fruit might be very tangible. Look again in Acts 9 at Tabitha. I want you to notice that she bore some fruit and it was very tangible. In Acts chapter 9, when Peter came into the room where Tabitha was laid out, in verse 39, when he arrived, they took him, this is Acts 9.39, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. They didn't just say, oh, she just loved so much. She was just so nice. They said, look, here it is. Look at what she did. Here's the fruit. Here's something tangible. Could folks look at us and say, here's the tangible thing? Listen, I know that they're abounding in good deeds because look, here's one, and there's one, and look at this, and look at this, and oh, I remember this time and that time. And could, could they do that? Because, you see, those who are zealous for good deeds bear fruit that glorifies God. It, it produces things that people can see and sometimes touch and show. Here it is. Here's the evidence of their good deeds. This is what those who are zealous for good deeds look like. So the question is, are you on fire for good deeds? Do you have a passion for good deeds? Are you zealous? For good deeds, this is what a zeal for good deeds is. This is what it looks like. This is how we develop it. I hope that was beneficial and edifying to you. More importantly, I hope it glorified God. Let's remember what we've learned. A zeal for good deeds means to be passionate or on fire for good deeds, unable to sit idly by while good deeds remaining to be done. Those who are zealous for good deeds, one, rely upon God's grace, Two, base their good deeds on knowledge from God's word. Three, labor fervently in prayer. Four, are anchored in service to others. Five, abound in good deeds. Six, bear fruit that glorifies God. 
If you have any questions about this lesson or any other spiritual issue, or if you have a spiritual need or prayer request, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face-to-face. We meet for Bible classes on Sunday at 9 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. We also have our Congregational Assembly on Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find directions to our meeting location on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.